I hope it's obvious that we have a theme going on this month. Good. God with us. And it's kind of nice to take one theme and just over and over and over again think about it. And kind of our goal is that by the time January 1st comes around, that you would be convinced in your own heart and mind that there's a God out there who wants to be with you. 365 days a year. He never gets tired of you. He never gets tired of you talking. And uh, that God is a God who desires to be with us. It's one of the themes that you find throughout the scripture. <clears throat> and so last, last week we talked about we talked about the Bible and we talked about ways that people interpret this. And sometimes, you know, we'll just take a we'll take a a passage and, and we'll we'll go to it and, and we'll read it and it may say something about something that's important in our lives, like you need to forgive people. Well that's an important truth and that's something we need to know. You need to uh, you need to encourage people, you need to honor people. There's there's a lot of things in here about how we live out our lives. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, when they think of the Christian faith, they think of, oh, that's where you learn how to, how to live your life in a certain way. And I think if, that, if that's how we interpret the Bible, we're, we're missing the beauty and the wonder of the Bible, because this is a story. It's a story, and it's, it has themes that run all the way through the story. And so, one of the themes that we see that runs through this entire story is the theme that God wants to be with us. So, in the very beginning, he creates man in his image. He creates man in his image. I, I was having a discussion yesterday with someone who was talking about us coming from chimpanzees, and that there's really no difference between the animal kingdom and man is just a more advanced form of animal. And you just need to know that the Bible is so contrary to that. The Bible teaches that you and I are distinct from everything else in creation. And we are distinct in that we are made in the image of God with an ability to relate to God uh, you know, when I'm out deer hunting, I, I don't think about a deer out there, you know, having a quiet time or thinking about his relationship with his creator. I don't think an animal has the ability to do that. But you and I do. And so that's one of the themes. This morning, we're going to look at another theme, which if you were to slice the tree from the roots all the way to the top, you would find this running all the way through that tree from very beginning to very end. So let me start in this way. I have a, a trivia question for you. <clears throat> I had all week to figure it out. You're going to have about 30 seconds. So, But here's the question. So and I realize you may have to give a little guess here, but in, in Luke's, Luke's gospel, he talks about from Luke 1 through the day when Jesus is eight days after his birth, he's brought to the temple. In that period of time, that period of time, how many K 
characters, how many people are personally named in the Christmas story? Okay? So just kind of scroll through your brain a little bit. I'll give you a hint that Matthew uh, includes Herod, but Luke does not talk about Herod, so he's out in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Otherwise, how many, how many do you think are in there? Okay, you got a number in your head? So let's walk through the characters that are found in the Christmas story. Let's count them out. Here's the first one. The first one is Zechariah. By the way, by my count, just so you know, there are 11. Okay, 11 characters. So let's see if we can identify them. Zechariah, this is an old guy. He's a priest. And an angel comes to him and says, Zechariah, I know you and your wife are getting old. You've never been able to have children, but you're going to have a son. And Zechariah had a hard time believing, believing it. And so the angel said, you know, because you haven't believed, you're, just so you know, you're not going to be able to speak. And he was not able to speak until eight days after the baby was born. So that's Zechariah. He's our first character we see. Then the next one, you'll see up there, is Gabriel. He seems to be the angel on assignment here at Christmas. He's the guy that he comes to Mary. He's the guy that comes to Zechariah. And he's the one that informs Zechariah of what is going to happen. And he also informs him that he is to name his son, our third character, which is John. This would be John the Baptist. And John was the son of Zechariah. He'd be a special kid. He'd grow up, there'd be amazing power in his life, and he would turn the hearts of Israel back towards God. He'd later be known, as I mentioned, as John the Baptist. Well, of course, there's a mother here, and that's Elizabeth. And so she's the one that bears this child. She's uh, also the one that Mary spends quite a bit of time with. They had a very close relationship. I would dare say probably Mary's closest friend. So that's four. Number five, of course, Mary. The angel, the same angel that came to Zechariah is sent to Mary. Tells Mary, I know you've never been with a man, but you're going to have a baby. You've got to give credit to Mary. She asked some honest questions, but she didn't, she didn't, she believed that God could do this. That there would actually be a child that she would bear, and that the next guy in the story, Joseph, that he would not be involved in any way. Joseph was kind of like a foster dad, right? He didn't. He really had no involvement in, in the birth of the Christ, even though he was kind of the surrogate dad who would help raise Jesus along with Mary. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Number seven, well, Caesar Augustus. He had a really small line there in the, in the story, right? But his name is mentioned, and he's the guy that called everybody so that prophecy would be fulfilled. That's how Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem. Uh, without this, without Caesar, that probably would not have happened. The baby's born. 
The angels and the shepherds don't have names, so we're not counting them, all right? They had names, but they're not revealed to us, so they're not identified. Simeon, however, was a very, he's a very old and a very godly man. And God spoke to this man. In fact, he told him, Simeon, you, you're not going to, before you die, you are going to see the Messiah. And so on the day, Simeon goes to the temple because the, Holy, because, because the Lord directed him there and said, you need to go to the temple today. He goes to the temple and Jesus is brought in to be circumcised and Simeon knows and prophesies that it's the Christ. And then, of course, there's Anna, kind of towards the end of his account. She's a prophetess. She's 84 years old. And when Jesus is brought in, she knows that this is the one who will bring salvation to Israel and to all nations. And so she too prophesies. And of course, Jesus is also the key player in the Christmas story. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We're missing one. We're missing one. Now, you don't have to say it. How many know who the other character is? Oh, one, two, okay. So I'm going to read you because he's mentioned six times. You ready? Six times his, his name is, is mentioned in the Christmas story. He says to Elizabeth, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. He's talking about John now. For he will be great before the Lord He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So John is going to be filled with his mother's spirit, uh, with the Holy Spirit, even in the mother's womb. And then the angel comes to Mary and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we have Zechariah. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is when the, uh, at the time of, of the birth. And then we keep going. Chapter 2, it says, he's talking about Simeon. It said, this man had been waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned, I believe, more than any other individual, any other character in this Christmas story. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure how aware we are of how predominant this theme is from the very beginning to the very end of this book. So if we travel back to the very, very beginning and you open up and you were to start reading the Bible, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the the Holy Spirit 
The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So why is the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters? What is he doing here? Is he looking for a good seat to watch the creation story unfold? Uh, I, think, I think that the Holy Spirit here is getting ready to act. And, you know, the Trinity is an amazing thing, how God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work together. And what it appears to be is that one of the major roles of the Father in the Trinity is that he is the designer, he's the engineer, he's the one that says, okay, this is what's going to happen. And Jesus Christ, the Son, the the Scripture tells us it was through him that the, the creation came into being. It's almost like the Father gave him the plans, and so... He was responsible, but the divine agent, the hands-on member of the Trinity that actually does it, appears to be the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit here is hovering over the waters, and he is getting ready to act in this act of creation. As we look in chapter 2, we don't have to go very far, and... Man there, it's talking about man, you and I being created, the first man. We call him the, the first Adam. And it says, The Lord God formed the man of the dust and the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. That breath is the word rausch. That's, it literally means breath. Rausch literally means breath. And it was this breath that God breathed life into man. The Spirit of God here is breathing life into man, the first man. Then we walk through the Old Testament. And this character of the Holy Spirit keeps popping up. He pops up in Moses. He pops up in David. He pops up in Saul. He pops up in Elijah. He pops up in the prophets And we see that as God is writing this story, the Holy Spirit is is being involved in people's lives all the way through. And then we get to Luke 1, the Christmas story. The Bible talks about Christ as the second Adam. Jesus Christ is referred to as the second Adam. And so in the first Adam, this, this breath this rouse, the spirit breathes life into man. And, and now we see that in the creation of the second Adam, we see that the Holy Spirit is again very involved in bringing life. Mary's there and somehow life has to happen inside of her. Joseph is not involved. And so it's the Spirit of God that says, the Holy Spirit, Mary, is going to come upon you. And as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, there's going to be life within you. And so life was breathed into this second Adam. But it it doesn't stop there, because if you keep reading, and, and we go into the Gospel of John, listen to what it says. This is a very, this is a very, it might sound a little weird, But just keep in mind what we've been talking about here. 
The Holy Spirit brings life into the first Adam. He breathes life into the second Adam. And then there are sons and daughters of Adam, the people of God. So in John chapter 20, verse 22, this is what it says. Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's almost like this breath, this Holy Spirit now is, is the source of life for those who are sons and daughters of Adam. So, it is by the Spirit of God that the man received his physical life. It's through the Spirit of God that we receive spiritual life. So what, what is the point? You know, what is the point in all this? Well, the point is, is that from start to finish, the, the Holy Spirit is, is one of the things that God is using throughout the whole redemptive story to, to bring these things into reality. And so the theme this month is, is God with us. So the Bible says that God's with us. But, but how are you going to experience that? I'd, I'd be curious how many of you are sitting out there saying, I, I experience that in my life. When I get up in the morning, I know God is with me. I have this confidence. I have this knowledge. I have this understanding that God is with me. How, how do you experience that? That is a true statement, but the only way you experience that is through the Holy Spirit. You can't experience the reality of God with you apart from this working of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this is absolutely critical for any of us to say, you know what? My Christian life is real. I, I experience something real here. That will only happen through the Holy Spirit. You're not going to figure it out in your head. You're not just going to read the Bible and, and understand this stuff and know that it's true. It's the Holy Spirit that will reveal this to you. It's the Holy Spirit that will enable you to experience this. And so, in Luke 11, it's, it's interesting. The disciples see Jesus coming back from praying and so they come up to him and they said, you know, you, you go off and you pray with your father. We'd like to know how to pray. We'd like to know how to do that. We'd like to know how to experience prayer like you do. And so Jesus gives them a response. And the first thing he says is, well, when you pray, pray like this. Our father who art in heaven. And, you know, that's, that's important. But that's not all he said. He didn't just give the people the Lord's prayer. He said a couple other things. In fact, he gave them two pictures. He says, it, it's like this. You know, if, if, you, if you go to your friend's house and, and you want a loaf of bread and you knock on the door and, and he's in bed, he might say, ah, go away, come back tomorrow. I don't want to get out of bed. I'm warm. I'm, I'm in here now. But he said, you know what? If you keep knocking, he'll get up. So you know what? If, if your friend who doesn't even want to Go through the discomfort of getting out of bed. If, if he'll get up and give you what you ask for, how much more is your father in heaven? And, and then he moves into the analogy not of a friend but of a father. In fact, he said, you know what? God is, is, is more like a father. And, 
In fact, he's even different than what you would understand in the Father because our fathers are far from perfect. So you know, if there's a, if there's a father and Luke says, if, if you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. Or if he asks you for a scrambled egg, he's not going to put a scorpion on your plate. I mean, even you who are evil, he says, know how to get good gifts. How much more will your Father in heaven, now Matthew says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You know what Luke says? He says, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit. Why does Luke fill in the blank with the Holy Spirit? Why doesn't, contrary to Matthew, why doesn't he just say good gifts? Why does Matthew say the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is very important in Luke's gospel. He talks a lot. Holy, the Holy Spirit comes up over and over. We know that the Holy Spirit was very important to Luke. Well, it doesn't tell us why he inserts that. Uh, so we, we have to kind of rely on, I guess, what our opinion would be. I'll tell you my opinion. I think Luke puts it in there because that's, that's the most incredible gift God could ever give you. That's the gift that God gives to every, every believer. Everyone who places their faith in Christ gets the Holy Spirit. And so we see here that I think Luke realizes that so many blessings happen to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So many things happen. So, this spirit is involved in creation in the beginning and the first man. We see this spirit is involved in the incarnation of Christ with all these people going on. And in your experience, and the people in this room who've experienced the reality of God coming with them, of, of the separation being, uh, <clears throat> being eliminated through faith in Christ, we see that the Holy Spirit is intricately a part of that experience. In John 16, in John 16, he says, you know what? He says, it's through the Holy Spirit that you were convicted about sin and righteousness and judgment. And so, none of us would be in this room had not the Holy Spirit given us a a sense that, number one, we were sinful Number two, that there were consequences of that sin. And number three, that we needed a righteousness in our life that was greater than our own. How did you know that? The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, verse 7. So he, the Holy Spirit is drawing us right from the very beginning. Then once we're there, it's the Holy Spirit that actually does the work of regeneration. Because Christianity is not just believing some things and some truths. Christianity is being changed. Christianity is experiencing a a regeneration. In fact, John 3, it talks about the fact that becoming a Christian is about being, quote, born again. That's what he said to Nicodemus. You have to be born through the Spirit That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit, what's he saying there? It's the Spirit that allows us to be born. 
And so the Spirit of God is involved in the salvation experience in our lives. That's how we become these new creations. It says the Holy Spirit seals in Ephesians. The Holy Spirit seals us. Now, we're not into sealing, probably, but some of you have done this. You bought this little kit. It's hot wax. You ever done that? With a little whatever you wanted to put on there, and you put it on the seal. Well, back in these days, if you were an important person, if you were a king or something, letters were always sealed. They didn't have these lick things, you know. We lick, they, didn't, they hadn't invented that yet. Or the peel-offs. No, if you were going to seal a letter, you had to seal it with wax, hot wax. And a king or someone in authority would put his insignia on there. And when you saw that, I want you to think about this. The Holy Spirit is the seal on your life from God. God has sealed your life with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means you better not tamper with, it means you belong to God. Nobody better tamper with that. It means you are, it shows that you're authentic, that it's authentically from God because His Spirit is upon your life. It shows that there's an authority in your life because of the one who sealed your life. I personally believe that when God seals a person with the Holy Spirit, that forces and demonic beings are, are not able, <clears throat> that we are protected because of that seal of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. We see that uh, you know, you're born by the Spirit, but it's not just enough to be born. Hopefully we grow up, right? All of us were little kids one, at one time. We don't want to stay like little kids. How do we become mature adults? How do we become mature in our faith? It's the work of the Holy Spirit at work. The Bible calls it sanctifying. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts that we can function with. 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, self-control. All those things, where do they come from? The Holy Spirit is manifesting that in your life. But here's the last one. Here's the last one. The Holy Spirit assures you. He gives you the assurance of who you are and that God is with you. So, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you wake up in the morning and you know, you know what? I know that God is my Father. I know I'm forgiven today. I, I, I know God is with me. How do you know that? It says the Holy Spirit is testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit doing that, you wouldn't know that. You would have no confidence that you are, that God is with you and that you are in this relationship with Him. John 16, 13. But when He... Jesus is speaking now. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. But who's he hearing from? He's hearing from Jesus. Jesus is talking. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the spirit. And so he's only going to speak to you what he hears. What? He hears me speaking to him. What he hears me that what I want to say through the Spirit, He will speak. 
and he will tell you what is yet to come. So how do we know that God is with us? Well, we know God's with us because he speaks to us. And how do, we, how do we experience that? It's through the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let me just ask the question, how do we, this morning, how do we apply this in our lives? How do we apply this in our lives? Jesus wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. Your Father wants to be with you. And so, as you think about Christmas this year, I want you to, we're going to be talking about the things God has given to us. Uh, These are not gifts you buy on Black Friday. These are things, these are real gifts. Uh, God's not a cheap, he doesn't give cheap gifts. God's gifts are things that are eternal. There's no price, There's there's no amount of money you could pay for the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to take away from this service this morning is that this Christmas season, one of the, the biggest ways that God, one of the biggest gifts God has given you to allow you to experience God with you is the Holy Spirit. And so, if, if you don't experience the presence of God in your life, maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe you are in a place where you need to trust in Christ and ask him to fill you with his spirit. That would be, for some, that might be the first step. Is to trust in Christ's redemptive work on that cross. And, and, you know, the Bible says, to many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, what are you receiving? Well, Jesus said, you know, when you receive my, I will send my spirit. It's through my spirit that you'll, experience this relationship with me. So it's a receiving of the Spirit of God into our lives, who then regenerates us, and we are born again, and, and everything changes because of the work of the Spirit in our lives. This season, God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you can know that he is with you. And so <clears throat> here's just a simple little application that, I'll <clears throat> that you may want to do this week. The greater you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, the greater is our experience of God with us. <clears throat> so maybe you might want to ask the question, God, is there anything in my life that's causing me to quench your spirit? It's a word, the, the Bible says don't quench the Spirit. Something that, I mean, just ask God to show you. God, is there something in my life that's causing me to quench the Spirit, the experience of God's Spirit in my life? Or maybe he'll tell you that you need, you don't, maybe the Lord will say, I don't know you yet. You need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. You need to be born again. Maybe you are born again, and maybe the Spirit will say, you know, you know, maybe four hours in front of the television set every night isn't the best way. Maybe you need to uh, <clears throat> knock it down to three and maybe take that last hour and, and maybe be quiet and just spend some time in, in my presence. Quenching the spirit. I was in the first service, uh, 
Mike Barnett came up to me afterwards. He works at Crystal Finishings. They do a lot of work with metal. And he said, and he, use, he understands the word quench because they use that in the industry. When you take metal and you quench it, which means you cool it down really fast. When you quench something, it's hot, and you cool it down really fast. So when you do that, that's how you harden metal. That's how you harden metal. And, you know, if you want to harden, if you want to harden something, then when, when it's starting to burn hot, just throw it into something that just quenches it. There's maybe an analogy there in our lives. You know, maybe if there's something in our life that you know, the Holy Spirit's trying to, to burn within us and we keep quenching it, we keep quenching that. If we do that long enough, we start to harden ourselves to the Spirit's voice in our lives. Maybe the Lord wants to show you something. Maybe there's a, the Bible says don't, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. I think grieving is more of those, maybe some of those sins that just, um, ongoing, that just continually grieve the Spirit of God within us and diminish our experience of the Spirit. Or the other is to ask the question, is there anything in my life that I could do to be, the Bible says to be continually being filled with the Spirit. So that you walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Maybe there's something that God wants to show you in terms of, you know, I, I think if, if you would, if, if this is something that you would adjust in your life, or this, whatever that might be, God, how can I be filled in a deeper way with your Spirit? Because it's as we experience and open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we will truly experience God with us in each of our lives. Father, this morning, I, I thank you for the work of your Spirit. I thank you the, the many ways, Lord, your Spirit has been at work in my life down through the years. Father, I pray for, uh, I just pray for us this morning as we gather here and we open our hearts up to your word and this reality of your spirit who enables us to experience you. I pray that you would give uh, discernment to all of us here uh, this morning. I pray that we would understand what you're trying to say to us. I pray that even in this time together, Father, even as we worship you in this, in this closing song, that we would, through this worship of you, that we would experience in a deeper way uh, your presence with us. Father, thank you for just being such a great father. Thank you for giving us gifts. And uh, we thank you so much for giving us the Holy Spirit so that you could be with us and that we could experience this reality in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.